Uh, I am, uh, I'm 34. I'm wearing a llama. Uh, I'm 34. I'm going on like 75, though. And so I'm, I'm way more of a curmudgeon than the average 34-year-old. And I can remember uh, being young when you would get gifted something like uh, this. And it, it was just like it was just ugly. You didn't have to pretend that it wasn't ugly. But now here we are, fast forward, uh, 2019, and we like throw parties so everybody can wear one of these together. And you can go buy your own. There are whole sections of them at stores. I know that because I had to go buy this one. Um, and we, we put together opportunities, uh, the, the old ugly Christmas sweater party, to actually celebrate what's ugly. Now, maybe you're a big fan of the quirky Christmas sweater. That is how you would position it if you were a fan of it. It's not ugly, it's quirky. Uh, I was at a local chicken establishment on my way into the church today, and I was in the drive-thru, uh, and I paid for my food. I received it out the window. The llama was sitting on the seat, kind of laid out next to me, and I went to put my food down, and I thought, I can't get my llama greasy. And so I went to like scoot the sweater out of the way, and the woman working the drive-thru said, that's a beautiful sweater. I looked her dead in the eyes. I said, no, it's not. <laughs> And you know that. And she, I, well, no, she didn't say. I said, it's a llama wearing a, wearing a scarf that dangles off the sweater. It's weird, not beautiful. And she said, okay, you're right. It's actually pretty weird. But at this particular local chicken establishment, they have to be polite. And so she was trying really hard. It's kind of just weird, Right? But we put together these opportunities around this time of year in order to celebrate what's actually ugly as though it were really beautiful. And to not, you know, I don't want to be like the pastor that tries to push this a little too far, but I think that's actually something that humanity kind of does. We've gotten so comfortable with what's pretty ugly that we're willing to celebrate it as if not that it were like normal, but as if it were beautiful or good or praiseworthy in some sort of way. And we do this all throughout our culture in a myriad of different ways. We do it when we laugh at something that obviously probably shouldn't be laughed at. We do it when like a few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a group of friends and one of, uh, one of them was talking about a movie that he thought was particularly good and he said, it's actually like really clean. And I said, oh, what, is, like, what does that mean exactly in today's day and age? And he said, well, uh, there's like not a lot of cussing, there's nothing sexual, and only a few people get killed. I was like, what? Like, murdered? Or they die of age? And he said, no, they get murdered. I was like, why is that? Like, there's our standard now. Celebrating, making light of, lifting up as though it were beautiful, something that's obviously broken and obviously ugly. We do that when we kind of turn a blind eye or we remain silent on issues and structures within our world today that are obviously unjust or maybe just outright corrupt in some sort of way. We choose silence over speaking out about those things. That's a method 
of celebrating or pretending something is beautiful when it's actually obviously broken and ugly. We set up sections in stores to sell ugly sweaters so we can throw a party and celebrate as beautiful what we can all at least agree at best is, you're right, it's a little weird, but maybe actually is genuinely ugly. Now hear me correctly. The issue is not your ugly Christmas sweater party. By all means, keep having that. There's nothing wrong with it. After all, you paid $29 for that Christmas sweater that's got Baby Yoda on it that says, what child is this? And you need to leverage that thing as many times as possible over the next few years. So keep having your ugly Christmas sweater party. But think with me for a minute about what it would look like if we actually just celebrated what is genuinely and truly most beautiful. That's what Christmas gives us the opportunity to do. We gather together at Christmas in order to celebrate the only thing in all of human history that is genuinely, truly, ultimately, eternally beautiful. Christmas gives us true beauty to celebrate. That's what I want us to see this evening as we reflect together on the birth of Jesus. And in order for us to be able to do that, I need to give just a couple minutes of very quick background on priests. I don't mean like a Catholic priest. I mean like an Old Testament priest. Just three things really briefly I need to point out, and then we'll continue on and we'll talk about Jesus. Number one, priests represented their people to God. Think of like an ambassador to a foreign country. They've kind of got one foot in two camps. They're a citizen of one people, but they live among and they present the interests and the culture and the government of that people to another people. That's similar to the role that a priest would play. He's one of humanity, but he represents those people to God. And so he's kind of got a foot in both camps, one foot in the camp of humanity, and one foot before God. Thing number two, the way that he represents those people to God is through sacrifices. It's littered all throughout the Old Testament. You can't hardly read a book of the Old Testament without reading something about sacrifices. Sacrifices for specific types of sin, offerings in special situations or cases. Everything was very detailed, had to be done a very specific way. And that's kind of honestly the way an ambassador works. You go to another culture and you need to follow the rules of that culture. And if you don't, you put your people, your government, and your government's interests at risk. And so you're very careful to do everything that you need to do in the presence of whoever it is that you're in the presence of in that other culture. It's the same way with priests. God dictated the details of the sacrifice. The priests followed. They represent their people to God. They do so via sacrifices, and last, they have a shelf life. Now, what I mean by a shelf life is like, think about the milk that's in your refrigerator right now. It's printed on the outside. It expires at this specific date. In the Fritzen house, as that date gets closer and closer and closer, there's a very specific uh, little ritual that plays out, and that's that Melody says, will you let me know if the milk is bad? There's only like two ways to figure that out. Number one, drink it. Number two, unscrew the top. And just take a whiff 
and like let your senses be assaulted by whatever they might be assaulted by in that moment. I personally feel like if you're going to endure that anyway, you might as well get your face like all the way down in there. Just shove your nose down because if there's a little bit of sour, you don't want that either. A priest had a shelf life, 30 years. That's what the Old Testament law provided for or until they died. They represented their people to God They did so via sacrifice, and they had a shelf life. I want you to keep those three things in mind. Over the last few months here at LCF, we've been looking at the book of Hebrews, and we're going to do that tonight by talking about like six verses at the end of Hebrews chapter 7 that show us how it is that Jesus is better and greater and more beautiful than any Old Testament priest could possibly be. And so I'm going to have Tim Adams, one of our associate pastors, come up, and he's going to read Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 to 28 to us, and then we'll spend just a few more minutes reflecting on Jesus, his beauty, and why it is that we would celebrate him. Hebrews chapter 7, uh, verse 23. Now many have become Levitical priests since they, since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as as high priests do first for their own sins and then for those of the people. He did this once and for for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the promise of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Represent their people to God, they do so by sacrifice, and they have a shelf life. Hebrews shows us the way it is that Jesus is infinitely superior and therefore infinitely more beautiful than anything that those Old Testament priests could offer. First, he has no shelf life. He's eternal. Oftentimes when we think about Christmas, we think that it is like the entrance of Jesus as a being into the world. It's his entrance into our broken world, but he has existed for all time. Jesus has no shelf life. He's eternal. He's timeless. And so timelessness enters into time. Not only that, it's not just that he's timeless. It's that he's perfect for all time. That's what verse 24 tells us. He remains forever. He holds his priesthood permanently, perfectly for all of eternity. Jesus did not enter into the world and then become tainted by all of the brokenness and ugliness that exists in our world. In fact, he came into the world and brought all of his perfection with him and then maintained all of his perfection for his 33 years and carried it right back with him into heaven. He's eternally perfect. No shelf life in the beginning, no shelf life in the end. Think about it this way. You're out in the country, dirt roads, gravel roads, everywhere. It hasn't rained in weeks. You drive your brand new, recently washed Tesla truck onto one of those roads, 
and you're on it for like an hour. As soon as you get all four tires on there, dust is just flying up everywhere. It's a cloud behind you that doesn't dissipate very quickly. And yet at the end of your hour-long drive, your car is completely clean. That's Jesus in our world. Totally perfect in every single way. Eternal in that he has always existed. Eternal in that he always will exist, but among us for 33 years and never once tainted in any way by the brokenness of our world. He has no shelf life. No one else needs to come. No one could do it better than him. He doesn't get tired. He never needs a break. He never needs to be subbed out. We don't gather at Christmas and hold out hope for the next baby to be born in a manger somewhere because the one in Bethlehem is the only one we'll ever need. Number two, Jesus offered the final sacrifice. Hebrews 7.27 says this, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. We're told, actually, in verse 26, the kind of priest that we need, one who is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Three of those words describe the same thing. Jesus, without sin, untainted by the brokenness of our world, untainted by the sin that exists within every single human being that's ever walked on the face of this planet. He's also separated from sinners. That doesn't mean that he came down here to earth and he let no people get near him. It means that he's of an entirely different order and category than humanity. Fully human, yes, but separated from the sin of humanity. He has none of it in and of himself, and he's exalted above the heavens. That's why when he was born, angels burst onto the scene in order to declare his greatness. He's been exalted above the heavens for all time, and he still was, even when he was born. He's holy. We're unholy. He's innocent. We're guilty. He's undefiled. We're marred or stained by our sin. He's separate from sinners instead of one of us. He's exalted above the heavens. And in order to think rightly about Jesus in that role and Jesus in the manger, we have to look through his birth to the cross. You see, if it weren't for the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then his birth in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago would have been no different than the birth of any other child in any other city on any other day. There he is, Bethlehem, wrapped tightly in cloths, Luke chapter 2 says, laid down in this wooden feeding trough. Fast forward 33 years, and there he is, hung on a wooden cross, wrapped tightly in all the sin of humanity, offering the final sacrifice for that sin. None of it his own, holy, innocent, and undefiled in every way, and yet bearing the sin of humanity in our place. Last, Jesus represents us perfectly to God. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. He lives right now, remember, no shelf life, to intercede for his children. The word intercede there is just a fancy word that means to intervene on another person's behalf. While he is ever living, he has a role that he performs, and it's the same role that every priest performed before him. 
He presents his people to God. He intervenes on their behalf. He did so by the sacrifice of his life. Jesus takes our ugliness upon himself in order to give us his beauty. That's how we're saved completely. That interchange is what saves us. To the uttermost, that's another way saves completely could be translated. It's the beauty of Jesus that saves us. It's the ugliness of our sin that separated us from God, but it's the beauty of His holiness that's able to save us completely. The beauty of His willing sacrifice that's able to save us completely. The beauty of His ever-enduring intercession on our behalf is what is able to save us completely. The beauty of His willingness to step out of perfect heaven into broken earth and live among us perfectly, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, go to the cross, wrap himself in the sin of humanity to bear the consequences and the cost of that sin, resurrect on the third day. That beauty is what saves us. Christmas gives us true beauty to celebrate. Those decorations in your house, your Christmas tree, the twinkling lights, the seven-foot blow-up Elsa that's outside your house right now in the front yard. Those things are beautiful-ish. Mountains, beaches, sunrises, art, architecture, great music, great food. They're beautiful. And yet everything that exists in this world is marked by the presence of the brokenness and the sin of this world. There's only one truly beautiful thing. Jesus Christ, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, born in a little town, placed in a feeding trough, lived a perfect life, hung on a criminal's cross. There's the one beautiful thing. Everything else is a shadow of the truest and the greatest beauty that exists in all of eternity and all of the universe, and that is the beauty of Jesus So it's important tonight as we reflect on Jesus' birth and as we enter into tomorrow to celebrate him, that we celebrate correctly. Sometimes what I think we celebrate is the story of Jesus rather than the person of Jesus. We've got this sanitary, idealized sort of vision of what the birth of Jesus was like, when in reality, everything in the story is actually a little bit off. It's a little bit ugly. There's this long journey on foot. Mary is nine months pregnant and riding on a donkey. I've never been nine months pregnant. I don't think the back of a donkey is where you want to be in that moment. Her water breaks at some point, but they're near a town. So they roll into Bethlehem and it's time to have this baby and they need a place to stay the night. Now they didn't walk up to the Bethlehem Ritz-Carlton and knock on the front door or approach the counter and ask the manager if he had a room. There was a search. We need a house with a guest room, a place where we can have this baby. Maybe they knew someone in town, had relatives there. It says that's where their family line was from. So maybe they approach that place and they say, do you have somewhere for us to stay? No, I'm sorry. There's no guest room available but we've got some space out with the livestock. Good luck. Well, it's better than no option. 
So Mary and Joseph go out to there. Jesus is born and they're looking for a place to set him down. And the only thing available is the feeding trough. Joseph, get the donkeys away. Swipe the food out of there. We need to lay Jesus down. And so they do. And about that moment, some shepherds show up. Who invited those guys? Right? While all that's happening, they start to get word that there's this deranged king who wants to kill their child. Magi show up. Mary's probably like, I didn't even know what a magi was until right now. And they're intruding on Joseph and Mary recovering and learning what parenthood is like. And we've got these gifts and we want to worship your child. It's all kind of interesting. There's brokenness everywhere. And if it weren't for the beauty of Jesus, the story would be very, very dark. The same is true on the cross. Brokenness everywhere. And yet the beauty of Jesus shines so brightly that the story is worth celebrating because Jesus is worth celebrating. Christmas gives us true beauty to celebrate. And that celebration is all about the beauty of Jesus Christ. Christmas gives us the priest, the representative, the ambassador we need because Christmas gives us Jesus. Jesus who is supremely beautiful and worthy of celebration. Jesus who is better than all things. And so tomorrow my encouragement to you, celebrate appropriately. The celebration isn't for the sake of celebrating. Jesus didn't step in to the world because humanity needed a party. The celebration isn't for the sake of family, but we celebrate as families. The celebration isn't for the sake of presence. It isn't for the sake of time off work. The celebration is for the sake of Jesus Christ, the beautiful one, who gives us something truly beautiful to celebrate rather than allowing ourselves to think that it's the ugliness of our world that's worthy of our adoration. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together and then we'll close our service in song. God, thank you for your son. He is the beautiful one who stepped out of heaven and left the glory and the splendor and the majesty of that place in order to enter into the darkness and the brokenness and the ugliness of our sin-stained world. He brought with Him all of His beauty, was laid into a manger, lived a sinless, spotless, innocent life, died a sinner's death, though no sin was in Him, raised triumphantly on the third day, and now it's possible for us to be clothed in His beauty. Father, would you remind us now, tomorrow, and every day after that, that that's the most beautiful thing in all of human history. It is what's worth celebrating. It's what's worth glorifying. It's what's worth giving all of our heart, all of our life to. Jesus Christ, the beautiful one. We pray in his matchless name. Amen.